EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Oya Jordanian, an EU Futures Project Coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is April 3rd. My colleague Toria Rainey and I talk to Robert Socha, a Polish journalist and Neiman Fellow at Harvard University. My name is Robert Socha. I'm a Polish TV journalist and currently I'm a Nieman Fellow at Harvard, Nieman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard. What is the future emerging in Europe? I've never been good at predictions, but I hope that the future is uh, peaceful and prosperous. Although when I when I watch our politics in Europe, uh, it seems that um, it is in some kind of decline because when you considering uh, last voters turnout uh, considering different elections it seems like it's not very high and I'm a little bit sad of it and I think that in Europe we may see a similar process like here in the US I mean I have in mind this uh, gap between the rich and the poor and the elites and let's say ordinary ordinary people and I think it's a widening gap um, for example the last presidential presidential elections when I was here as a, as a Neiman fellow at Harvard it was fascinating to me to to, to see the the elections and um, what was fascinating was was this fact that the next day after the the elections when it was obvious that uh, Donald Trump is the winner everybody was shocked elites were shocked uh, because before nobody had predicted such an outcome so it's for me it's a proof that there is a huge gap between between ordinary people and and the elites and uh, everybody was wrong journalists journalists uh, were wrong pollsters were wrong and it's i think something similar is going on in europe now too. And uh, the thing is that if it if it was up to me, I wouldn't raise walls on borders because when we raise uh, borders on walls, uh, it's difficult to find a common ground. It's difficult to find unity, and it's difficult to understand the other side. But I think Europe is still relatively wealthy and. Uh, different people from outside will keep will keep knocking to our doors and of course we have to help refugees who are in need but we have to find a solution what to do with people who are looking for for better life or better better social uh, security i'm sure that um, diversity in general is good uh, because it gives us different perspective, it gives us better solutions, uh, diversity inspires. And I really praise this year at Harvard when I'm exposed to this international Harvard diversity. It's been a huge gift uh, for me. But I think that at some point Europe would have to invite people from the outside because 
there is, for example, only there is one obvious reason that Europe is getting uh, older and older, and somebody will have to do. Somebody will have to work, basically. I can say that uh, I was born in uh, in communist Poland in in seventies, and I can remember well how it was to live in a semi-independent country or or in fact uh, a Russian satellite. So I don't want to live in, in, in such a country anymore and I really enjoy living in, in Europe without uh, borders in a democratic uh, country. And of course I enjoy, I enjoy it because, for example, I, I'm able to drive to Venice in one day and to reach Venice in one day but um, but I think there are many people to whom it's not so much important because uh, they don't care whether there are open borders in Europe or whether they can study abroad because for them the most important thing is to have a job and to have their voice to be heard and I think we have to we have to remember about those people, and um, something something uh, similar happened here in the U.S. Uh, during the last elections. Because, uh, as I realized, the Democratic candidate forgot about the white working class, which is quite counterintuitive for a democratic politician. But uh, the, the 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 man who was on the opposite took advantage of it, but I don't think whether those who voted for him will benefit of it. I'm, 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 not, I'm just not so sure. But uh, back to Europe. I think this is one of the most important issues, this, uh, this gap between the poor and the rich, between those in power and those in, and those in powerless, and we have to do everything to make this gap smaller. Also, I think that uh, I'm afraid that uh, the gap might maybe even uh, wider when it comes to technology and automation. And uh, this is an issue which was addressed by President Obama in, uh, in his farewell speech in January. He said such a thing that uh, automation may make many middle class um, jobs just just obsolete and of course it's not it's it's not good but of course we remember about 19th century uh, industrialization at the beginning uh, the social impact was no so not so good it, it caused many problems but in the long run it it was an advancement for many people and I hope similar thing will will happen when it comes to automation and uh, fast developing technology but sometimes it may take a generation or two generations and the problem is how to minimize this this gap because those are real people who are going to suffer and this is a real problem which should be addressed by politicians by policy makers uh, and I think that in Europe we may have a, 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 a similar situation uh, I, I deeply believe that uh, algorithms are not objective. 
And on the contrary, algorithms have a huge impact on our life. Uh, and algorithms are not objective. And usually there are people behind those algorithms. And technology usually incorporates politics, incorporates values. And algorithms usually incorporate um, developers' biases. So the question is whether it is possible to control developers, to control to control algorithms. Should we do it or not? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I can't answer this question. But I'm, I think that on the flip side, it's something contrary to to this digital world in general, because digital world or the internet, it's everything about the decentralization. So whether it is possible to control algorithm, huge, uh, huge corporations have uh, bigger and bigger impact on our life. And we sometimes we even don't realize it, how much impact they, uh, they have. But it's also inspiring when inspiring when it comes to my field. I mean, I mean journalism because uh, such digital platforms like Facebook or Google have gained huge power over our life or over the media too. And some people even uh, argue that Mark Zuckerberg is the the most important editor in chief in the world. Uh, so I hope that. Um, we as journalists of the media world will find ways to hold those in power accountable. I'm not saying that we are we have to uh, save our newspapers or radio stations or TV stations. I'm not saying that newspapers have to thrive, but I think that we have to find a solution how to uh, hold those in power accountable in this in this digital age. It's a huge challenge for. Europe too. But at the end, I think that it's always, the, the bottom line is always about values and about vision. Whether we talk about a state or whether we talk uh, about a company, it's always always about vision, about, about uh, values. Without vision, a company won't work and a state will not also work. And honestly, at this stage, it's, it's hard to see a vision a clear vision when it comes to Europe. Europe is pretty divided now. Tell us a little bit more about this division and why do you see it's happening? I think I can see it in my country, Poland, and I can see it also in uh, many countries in Europe because at this stage, it's a, I think it's a special time in Europe because, uh, because we are not sure at this stage about the future of European Union. We are waiting impatiently for um, elections in a in a few months. There are there are a few elections in a in a few European countries, and we'll see who will win the elections. But if some populist parties will win the elections, I think it may it may be the end of, the end of EU. But on the contrary, the EU, it's not. I mean, Europe is only is, is not only about the the EU. I'm sure that Europe can survive the EU. Actually, I'm sh- I, 
and um, in the long run I'm an, I'm an optimist um, but when, when, when it comes to geopolitics for example for my country Poland the last almost 30 years uh, after the fall of the Berlin Wall it's been the best time in our history it was a it's been a success story uh, just prosperity peaceful time and I hope it will last as long as possible but on the contrary of course I can see there are different tensions in the EU the EU struggles with some issues copes with some uh, difficult issues so we'll, we will see what the future will be and uh, I, I really enjoy that my country is in European Union, my country is in NATO, although I'm a little bit worried when I, when I, when I can hear that the, the US president says that NATO is obsolete. And when I can see that uh, the US president is in pretty close relations with Russia and especially uh, President Putin, I don't feel, uh, I don't feel comfortable because I think that um, it's very it's very dangerous from my point of view because Poland is a country between uh, Euro between Germany and Russia and we've been shifted many times from east to west and backwards uh, because of many wars in our history so I'm just I just I just feel un uncomfortable and when I when I when I see it and I think that this relationship between uh, the U.S. president and the, the the Russian president is just is just too close, is too intimate, and it's inappropriate. And at the end, it's just it's just dangerous. Um, as I mentioned, it, um, the EU is not a perfect place. Um, it's it's too bureaucratic sometimes. It lacks a vision. Um, and I think quite often it's too distant to ordinary people. And I also have my own experience with this bureaucracy. A few years ago, a few years ago, as a journalist, I tried to um, to get to know how many, how much money uh, European members of the European Parliament, how much money they spend to run their offices, because every month they get money to run the offices and it turned out that I couldn't get this kind of this information because it's confidential in some way so it is pretty strange to me this this lack of uh, this lack of transparency I was just it, it was it was just it, it just amazed me but what um, what worries me as a, as a journalist most is this level pretty low of democratic discourse in Europe. Tell us a little bit more it, about that. I mean, there are... There are... It's, it's a similar situation here in the US because there are uh, echo chambers. It's caused by, by, this, by, this, by this digital uh, world. There is uh, views polarization. That's okay. It's, it's okay to have different views. But I think that at this stage, this polarization in Europe is so strong that it's not possible to to have a discussion with uh, people, to talk 
to people in a reasonable way and to listen to people because it's great to have different arguments but we have to be able to to listen to the other side and try to understand the arguments on the other side but quite often there are no arguments quite often there are just uh, invectives so I think this, uh, this is a problem and uh, I think that all of this all of that uh, it's it's a part of a huge uh, social change and especially this huge shift from group-centered li life to network-centered life there are advantages and disadvantages. On one side, living in those digital worlds, in this in these networks, uh, we have enormous power, and we can uh, we can organize ourselves um, bypassing official structures like official organizations, official institutions, official procedures, and it's and it's great. That's that's okay, but. Uh, but uh, when it comes to, to 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 this media world, we have to learn also how to nav navigate in in these social networks and how to recognize those social networks to underst to understand this world better. Um, and th one of the biggest problems now is this this thing called uh, it's a keyword fake news, but it's real. Um, even here in the US, it's it's just time wasting going to for journalists going to uh, White House press conferences because it's not possible to find a source of uh, reliable information there. It's just it's just time wasting, and it's it's strange. I don't like it, but I think we have to learn those keys, skills how to navigate in this pretty divided, uh, networked world, how to navigate among those different uh, different uh, people who don't talk to each other, actually. There are different worlds. And as, as a journalist, I do care about journalism, especially uh, local journalism, which is in huge decline in Europe, in US too. And this is a great challenge for Europe, for uh, social entrepreneurs, or maybe for politicians too. Uh, we have to find a solution how to hold those in local power accountable, because this is the place where the big politics uh, begins. One thing you mentioned was having conversation between people who seem to be in their own world. Do you see any of that in Europe with the rise of nationalism? Do you think that there's a way that people can communicate on a European level rather than, say, a Polish and a German level? And what would you say your advice to them would be? I think that this, uh, this sense of nationality is pretty strong in Europe all the time. We are all Europeans. We share the same values. We share... Our, we share our history, although we had fought with each other in the past. But um, I think Europe, and especially European Union, Union is or has always been about national interests in some way. Uh, I think 
it's quite quite natural that people think uh, first that I'm a, I'm a Pole, I'm a German, I'm French, and secondly, I'm I'm European. I think it works this way, but uh, I don't think it's a it's a bad thing. We have to be aware of our identity to be fully Europeans. So it's just the normal thing, I would say. At the beginning of our conversation, you talked a little bit about the gap, the inequality that you see both in the US and Europe. Uh, so my question is, how do you think it's possible? It's actually a very <laughs> broad and uh, challenging question, but how do you see do you, what European citizens can do actually to help to actually overcome this gap? I don't know the answer, and uh, I'm not a politician. I have I have never covered uh, politics directly as a journalist. My work has always been mostly about investigative journalism. But uh, <clears throat> I think, as usual, there are many factors. I don't have a golden arrow in my backpack. Uh, I think the most common thing is just we have to... We have to talk to each other. I mean, on the the bottom line is we have to talk to each other. We have to understand other people because um, if we don't know the opposite side, it creates misunderstanding, it creates fear and things like that. And at the end, it creates aggression. I think we have to talk to each other and we have to try to understand the other side. But how to do it? I'm... I, I don't know the answer, and I, I'm sure that it's pretty tough to do it in this digital world, which is more and more about separate clusters, actually, which and the clusters don't don't see each other and they don't talk to each other, don't listen to each other. So there is a more gap. I think I think there is this gap between, let's say, the elites and the ordinary people, because the rich and the poor, because those in power and those powerless, and maybe also. Uh, between those who uh, know the technology, who have the data, and those who don't know the technology and don't know the data. So this gap, I would say, is uh, pops up on many levels. And probably my last question, which is, in what kind of Europe would you like to live in, would... in the future? <laughs> I would like to live in a peaceful and prosperous Europe. That's the only thing I'd like to I'd like to see, and the rest is up to us. Is there anything we didn't ask you about, but you would like to share? I think that it's a great idea that you've started this conversa- conversation, and I'm honored to be part of it. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for this interesting conversation. You've been listening to the EU Futures Podcast. 
a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C.